0: Hello, my name Rebecca Reese, and welcome to Digital Dissect, the podcast that observes and breaks open the music industry through the lens of digital analysis. Because I'm on a quest to make sense of the changing digital landscape, exploring questions like how is digital media changing the culture of creative industries and how do we take advantage of a new type of economic market? Today I'm joined by Hannah Mattison, CEO of Generator, to explore how actually a constant rise in technologies is affecting how we work and causing a digital divide across the music industry. It's estimated that 700,000 young children do not have the skills and devices to work, as well as digital poverty affecting 52% of women and 42% of men worldwide. These issues have been amplified over the last year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, with Wi-Fi in a quiet space being a privilege and access to necessary equipment needed to work and socialise not being accessible to all across the UK. Generator are a support agency for creative industries, empowering individual talent in not only music, but a broad spectrum of arts and media, specifically in the Northeast. From masterclasses to songwriting residencies and funded business coaching, Hannah and her team work with businesses from tech corporations to freelancers who share enthusiasm for entrepreneurship. Today I'll be speaking to Hannah about the stresses and strains that the digital demand has brought, identified from working so closely with clients and exploring artists' development and how to navigate the sea of digital to those of you feeling a little resistant in the current climate. Hannah thank you for taking the time to speak with me today how are you doing? I'm not too bad thanks how are you? Good I'm really good thank you. How has it been for you working in the creative industries during this global crisis?
1: It has been completely mad and scary and worrying and also wonderful and exciting and full of opportunity so a real mixed bag (laughs) is what I'd probably go with.
0: Absolutely. When we've spoken before, I know you mentioned that you had begun to implement some new strategies at work within your team. So you've been including rest days for your team per quarter as a time for reflection to think about achievements and set new goals. And this has obviously been really critical this year. How effective has breaking down this typical working pattern been for your team? It's been a very
1: intense year, ultimately. Working from home alone, you're not in that office. It's hard to have that kind of camaraderie with your colleagues all the time. For me personally, I started this job during the first lockdown. So I had to come in in a a very senior position and build the trust of a team via Zoom. You know, it's quite intense that Things that might usually be like, oh, can you just check up this thing for us? Or do you know who did that thing? Or have you got that person's number? Actually become a half hour meeting and fill up your day. And everything seems to be very intense as while you're working. Never mind the fact that you might not have been outside that day. So we've been really conscious to kind of be flexible and be adaptive. And give people a bit of grace within our team. So You know, if you're having a bad day, it's a safe space in our team meetings that we have every day to say, Actually, I feel pretty down today, or I don't know what's wrong with us, I'm just really tired, or I'm just not concentrating. And we all go, That's fine, it happens, and we all know it happens. So you just need to do what you need to do to get through that. And that might be me saying, Take an extra hour for your lunch and go for that extra long walk because I would rather you came back in the afternoon and were able to sit down and crack on with something for a couple of hours and get something done than kind of you sort of doom scrolling through Twitter being like oh my god there's so many more thousands deaths and I'm not going to get my vaccine for another six months and build up all of that stuff (laughs) which isn't helpful for anyone so I think you know having to work digitally has really stretched people in a way that I think it sounds wonderful. So it's about trying to find that balance, I think. So yeah, we introduce things like rest days where it's just saying, look, just take a day off, have a little bit of time and have a think about what you've achieved over the last couple of months and what you're proud of. And maybe it's just, I got through it. It was hard, but I got through it. It's a chance to do that and also go for that extra long walk if you want to, because otherwise you're going to burn out so quickly and you're no use to us if you can't work.
0: I think because we're not in the office, you can't get those physical cues from people like how stressed they're really feeling. You can't just pop to the kitchen and get them a cup of tea and like distract their mind for five minutes by talking about something else. Or you can't always offer your help or assistance or lend your hand because you don't really know how they're feeling. And I think it's really amazing to see some changes actually being implemented in a workplace to safeguard people, especially in light of the ongoing challenges we faced in 2020, just in terms of respecting people in general and respecting their health. And I saw an interesting piece in Rolling Stone last month, actually, where David Emery, who is from Curiosity Stream, drew attention to how mass habit reformation is going to be a really big trend this year. And he said, and I quote, with a massive disruption to daily routines, things that people did due to a force of habit are going to be disrupted. And this is going to allow for a period of mass habit reforming for large swaths of people. Um, Innovative brands and companies and products can benefit at the expense of larger players who benefited from habitual behaviour prior to this. What's your thoughts on that? I feel like these
1: strange times have been an opportunity for us to just actually, let's just rip up the word normal and that there isn't a normal, whether it's an old one or a new one, it doesn't really matter. What we've got to do now is find out the best and most effective way of working as a workforce, as a team, as an organisation. That suits you and how that kind of fits into the ecosystem of how all of these things work. Because there are, what I've learned is that actually I'm pretty useless after about three o'clock each day. But there's loads of little things that I kind of felt like maybe I already did know about myself, but I've had a lot more time to think about them now. You know, so we've created these new habits and these new routines and they're going to have to be disbanded again and again and again until we come to a time of stability in the way that people are working But I don't think it will ever go back to the way it was as such. I think this has been a revelation for a lot of people that we've gone, oh, we can use the power of digital stuff to make our work more exciting or easier for some people more flexible and maybe that works different people's lifestyle and yes admittedly it's sometimes a bit of a headache for someone who's in charge of a team to have to go okay so you have kids then and you do that then and right that's fine but ultimately it's about creating your individual or your team habits so it's quite exciting to have that opportunity to to mix things up.
0: I think, um, obviously, this digital shift has been coming for a long time. And in 2020, we saw it really come to the forefront of communication, of lifestyle. It was the only way to work for a lot of people. And therefore, it's the only way to make ends meet, to get food on the table. And so It's obviously accelerated hugely, much quicker than it would have otherwise. So it is really important to make sure we continue to safeguard mental health and well-being through these practices. And I really do hope we do see this reformation of habits and behaviour. So back to Generator then. Generator support and empower individual talent, but not only in the music industries. Broad spectrum of arts and media in the North specifically. Can you explain a bit more about the company and how you work with businesses and a bunch of different freelancers who share enthusiasm for digital development?
1: First and foremost, we are a music talent development agency. So we've always supported artists who are former based in the Northeast to take the next steps in their careers, whatever that might be. So that might be that they just need a bit of help and advice with how do I put a release out or what are my publishing rights or how do I get a gig outside of Newcastle? Um, But we also support the digital creative industries. We have a number of business support programmes which we run, focusing on digital adoption. So we're getting companies and organisations to think about how they can incorporate more digital ways of working into their companies. But we also run Digital Union, which is a free membership network for anyone working in the digital creative industries. So in the past, we used to charge people to be part of this and it became very insular. And it was kind of like an all-boys club where everyone knew each other and we'd all talk about how great we were and never got anywhere. Oh, you know, one of the things that Generate have always done is try to empower talent and try to connect people. And what we realised was that Digital Union has the power to facilitate that. So we opened it up, we made it free, we've encouraged loads of students and younger people to join, we've encouraged the individual to join. And by that I mean not just if you're a freelancer or if you're self-employed, but if you are someone who works in web development or IT in a bigger business, it might be that you are really keen on joining that network. You might work for a super multinational organisation, but if your key thing is digital marketing, then we want you to join, not just as the representative of that organisation, but as yourself, because you are a key part of those whole industries. The idea being that we can then do a lot of art cross-sector kind of creation and co-collaboration So we find that we have musicians who are maybe part of that network who are going, I don't know how to build a website. And then we've got web developers going, oh, cool, I can do that. Let's work together. And so you suddenly get these people who paths might not have ever crossed, but their skills are both needed and wanted by each other. So facilitating that is really cool.
0: You actually host some virtual networking events on Wednesday mornings, don't you? And I attended one last month and I met all different kinds of creatives so I met a graphic designer I met a lady that does voiceover for adverts I met a digital marketing lecturer I think from a a university in Newcastle you know we were having loads of discussions about how our current projects could maybe like interlap or how we could help each other out and you saw these connections being made and it's so valuable and I suppose what similarities are you seeing across the creative industries, not just specific to music, so kind of the demands that these creative industries are looking for?
1: I think we've had such a hard year. For a lot of people, it's been about surviving. It's not been about stability or been about just making it through. But what we've been doing with Digital Union is trying to connect people so that you don't feel so isolated. You don't feel like you're on your own in it. And what we're seeing is that People want opportunities and they want challenges, but the right kind of challenges. So rather than going, how do I keep making money in this time? It's more about actually, I've got this idea and I want to do it, but I'm not sure how. What we're seeing is a, is a need for people to feel connected. So, you know, whether you are an app developer or a graphic designer, you're still working in isolation. You have your team that you work with, but you don't get that personal connection with people that often inspires what we're seeing are are people craving connection.
0: That's what I really took away from it was that I was having conversations with different creatives that were really resonating. We were just talking about frustrations right now maybe how we were trying to find inspiration and helping each other understand possibly how we could adapt during these times to get that inspiration And you mentioned accessibility there when you were talking about making Digital Union now free and you've opened it up to so many more people through that, which is fantastic. So through the marrying of working with artists, creative development, but also Generator and the Digital Union and focusing on digital startup and all of that. You've noticed that digital demand has created many social issues and created a huge divide between those who live in certain areas or have certain incomes. What socioeconomic patterns do you see in the North? So
1: we're based in Newcastle. The Northeast suffers quite heavily from socio-economically disadvantaged communities. And by that we mean that there's probably high levels of unemployment. There's a lot of young people who are classes neat, so not in education, employment, or training. You know, and with these kind of communities come a lot of health issues. There's higher kind of numbers of people with disabilities and, and a lot of older people. What we find is that it's amazing that we can sit and still connect and communicate with people. Via your laptops or your phones or whatever it is. But often there's a lot of people who don't have those things. Or maybe they are family with four, five, six kids living in a house and they have one laptop between them all. How do you homeschool if they're all meant to be on different lessons and you're meant to be working and you're trying to connect with people, but actually there's other people who need that facility in your house? There's also issues around broadband connectivity. And I guess this is a national thing that needs to be addressed anyway. But there's definitely this kind of inequality when it comes to digital accessibility that we certainly started to see. And it's not a thing that was high up on our agenda, admittedly, when this all kicked off. We were like, oh, of course, people can just attend our stuff online. Every masterclass that we'll do, we'll just put online and artists will still turn up. But what we've realised is only the artists who can turn up will turn up. So what happens to those people who are sat at home, who are writing songs, who actually want to know how to record a thing, but they can't access us because the only way to do that at the minute is via an online webinar. It kind of bugs me that we haven't figured that out yet, that we haven't been able to necessarily solve that. And some of that, not our responsibility, but it is our responsibility as an organisation to at least recognise it and to lobby for better access to digital facilities because there's a lot of people who would love a job in the digital creative industries and it's really frustrating that we're not in a position to fix that. We can't go around dishing out iPads to everyone. We've got to find a way of working around that or we've got to make sure that those people don't miss out and I'm really quite passionate about that because it's not a thing that affects everyone. And it doesn't affect everyone in the same way. You know, if you're based in the centre of London, you're probably doing all right. You're probably earning, you've probably got a laptop, you know, but actually, there are other places that are often forgotten about and a bit left behind.
0: I think the music industry, well, any creative industries, even like photography comes to mind here, but these are all very privileged industries to work in. You do need some support and most of the time financial support in order to work in them and succeed in them and push yourself further. So, It is really worth remembering that not everyone has that support and how can we help those that don't and how can we keep bringing new opportunities to them? But on the flip side, how are new technologies and digital media for those that can access them helping local SMEs in the Northeast? The
1: northeast is a really interesting place to start a business. We get quite a lot of startups, but also quite a lot of businesses that fail within the first 12 months, which means that we clearly have a lot of ideas um, and not particularly great at executing them all of the time. So what we're finding is that those businesses are maybe accessing some more of our services now than they ever have been, because they've been given the time and space to think about how to make their business stronger. I guess going back to that thing around those kind of habits that we all have and the, that way of working, that's also gone out the window for for businesses and, and startups right now. You've been given an opportunity here. There's a time people aren't on that hamster wheel of having to just kind of keep going all of the time because everything's slowed down, everything's kind of stopped. So you can take a more objective view of what you're doing and what your plans are. And maybe take that opportunity to access some of that support. You know, the the online support and you know seminars or business coaching that we offer. You know, there's a there's a whole bunch of services out there across the northeast where we're seeing more people get in touch and want to be part of. And maybe we haven't thought about how we use digital in terms of our marketing or you know, whatever it is, and we can help plug that gap in one way or another and um, get them to work with some specialists on figuring out how they incorporate and embed that into their business. And that's really great to see. And seeing people adopt digital for that first time is amazing. Although, you know, there was a bit of work done where I think it was the, the rate in which people are adopting digital activity has increased to the point where we are now essentially four years ahead of where we thought we would be right now. The number of people who had to very quickly switch to doing everything online, very quickly get themselves digitally ready to operate as a business was amazing. The problem we see now is people going, I've bought this software, I'm doing this thing, and I don't really know what it does or how to use it or how to get the best out of it. It kind of comes with its warnings. There was a necessity related to it that you thought you had to do this, otherwise... Your business wasn't going to survive, but also now it's about actually how do you make this really work for you rather than you working to keep a life. This can be the thing that takes you that next step further.
0: Yeah, I think this shift has really cracked open those companies that hadn't yet harnessed digital media to its full capacity. Obviously, it has helped. A lot of companies reach a global audience in a time where they needed to maximize their customers but at the same time how well is it being used because people yeah have just rushed onto it there's the pros and cons there isn't there and and that's interesting to hear but how do you think digital media is changing the landscape for young people in particular to enter the industry to find opportunities to network or job search outside of their immediate regions so in the Northeast, I suppose a lot of people can't afford to move to London, or perhaps they feel very distant from London, which is sometimes seen as the place to get jobs easier. Yeah, how do you think digital media is changing that?
1: I think there's more of a recognition now, and this is because of the work that we've done. There's other organisations across the Northeast, like Dynamo. There's a lot of work being done by the universities and colleges in the region as well as a a drive from the sector itself to say, actually, we've got some really great businesses here. We've got some really great organisations. You know, those kind of further and higher education institutions going, we've got some amazing talent. We've got some great students who can do all of these fantastic things. And it's more about bridging the gap between those two things by saying, we've got the opportunity, we've got the businesses, we've got demand here for those jobs. It's more about making sure we fill them. So we need to be matching those people to those roles. You'll often see in kind of economic strategies for places about job creation. We want to create X number of thousands of new jobs in this industry. And I think the way that the Northeast is thinking about it now is actually we want to fill those jobs. There are always these jobs available, but they're not being filled and they're certainly not being filled by people from the Northeast. So we need to look at that skills gap. So there's a bit of work to do there. In terms of digital media, I think people are much more attuned and much more likely to look at your social media accounts now or your websites than ever. I think it's about people being flexible in how they read those roles because I don't think there's ever a perfect fit for a person in a job. As a business, you want to be able to say, actually, we want to reach as many people as possible with this job effort because we want to reach the biggest pool of talent possible to get the best person. But also we want to develop that person and we want that person to come and work for us so that they will get to know the way that we work and we can do good stuff with them. So I think digital media is having that effect of expanding that talent pool, but also at the same time, reinforcing that message of, hey, we're this business and we're based in Sunderland, Teesside, Northumberland, whatever, and more people are understanding that these jobs are available in their local region, then you're starting to kind of all level up at the same time.
0: I think overall, the industry has a problem with its entry-level recruitment and the opportunities that young people have in general. So having that even bigger divide, perhaps being from the north, must be really hard. I mean, I've had discussions with one of my friends who was saying she's a journalist and she was saying the way she got into journalism was by just being in the right place at the right time hanging around at gigs you know trying to get backstage being part of a bit of a fan community and she met so many people that way that she became friends with they then gave her lucky breaks and you know wherever they were working and allowing her to write articles which I found so interesting because it's also how I got into the industry it was through going to so many gigs and meeting so many people and learning about their stories. So actually, I think as well, the pandemic has not helped that at all. It's it's ruining the entry even more. But then I have found that because a lot more jobs have gone online, where you are from isn't a factor anymore. It doesn't matter. I've also seen the power of social media allowing more people to get opportunities. I've seen artists shout out for photographers and then loads of people get recommended in the comment sections and then people get offered new contracts and jobs that way. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it?
1: Ultimately, it shouldn't matter where you're from. If you're the right person for the job, as northern as they get, and will fiercely defend, there's a perception that has been created, not through any fault of our own, that people here are left behind or not as in tune with what's happening nationally. And that's not true. I don't like the notion that you have to leave the region to get that job that you want, to take that step up. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of it. I worked outside of the North East for a couple of years and I loved it and it was great. But ultimately coming back here to work in this world is where my heart is. It absolutely is. And I've never been more proud of that. It's really important, particularly for women, that they see people in those walls saying, actually, you can do this and you can do this here if you want to do it here. But if you don't, that's fine. and You can go wherever you want to go to go and do the job that is the right job for you. And good luck. And I hope that, you know, businesses or whoever who's advertising that job, that should be your job. Recognise that it is your job rather than thinking you're from the north. You're not going to fit in round here or anything like that.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's about making sure that people that are not from the Northeast know that. It's also the beauty of the creative industries, isn't it? There's no right way, and you can make it how you want. And we can make change because there's no rule book as such. So hopefully, we do really see this change. And I think in general, young people should always remember that there are options for them to create their own experience and do what they love. So at Generator, you have a youth advisory board. We have six 18 to 25 year olds that advise you on how to connect more with your core audience, the younger people that you work with, and they also hold you accountable for the ways that you're running things. I think it's really fantastic that you're giving young people a look into new responsibilities and challenging topics that maybe they would only see at a more senior position, as well as giving them the confidence to get their voices heard. We
1: set the youth advisory board up because um, we had a recognition that our core audience, core participants for our programmes were late teens, early 20s, a lot of aspiring musicians, aspiring artists, maybe people who were looking to set up new businesses. And as much as I'd like to think that I'm young, I'm not. I think our whole team kind of had that when we brought it up and talked about it, it was like, actually, yeah, this makes sense. We connect to those people. and But how do we do that? What's the best way of doing it? Now, I'm all for being on social media and stuff like that. That's fine. But I'm not on TikTok. I don't know what those latest platforms are. Like, I don't use Twitch apart from to watch the odd comedy thing. Like, there's loads of different things that I just don't know about, but those younger people do. And so we need them to to kind of influence us and influence our programme and make sure that we're doing the right things at the right time for the right people. Um, We get those messages put out in the right way, in the right places. but also. I'm really passionate about youth leadership and that young people should be listened to, should be heard and seen, and they should be recognised as key components in the governance of an organisation if your organisation in any way looks to work with a younger audience. So we connect our youth advisory board and our board of directors so they can see what each other's getting up to in those meetings. We will ask them for opinions and help on programme development they are so inspiring and so challenging and I love it I absolutely love going to those meetings with them because every time it's like going to parents evening right and you'd sit there and like your mum's about to talk to your maths teacher who you know is going to tell them that you talk to much watching class and that you need to do like your homework more on time and you have that like that little bit of adrenaline and a little bit of dread of like oh god what's gonna happen and every time I go to one of those meetings i I get that feeling because I'm like, they're going to find me out. They're going, to, they're going to really like go at me and ask me and challenge me and get me to do those things. And that's what they're there to do. It's great because they're there doing that job and making me think about all of those questions that they have about our organisation and about the work that we do but also I'm sat there thinking I am so incredibly kind of inspired and astounded and proud of them all as a group because they put their hand up and they say, I'm not sure about that. Why are you doing this? Well, who's this for? You know, and if only I'd had more of those opportunities when I was younger to speak to the people in charge of the things that I really cared about, you know, it would have been amazing. And they're the next generation of talent. They're the next lot of people who are going to rule the world. The whole thing that Generator does is around talent development. And I'm not looking for someone who's going to be the next me in my job. I'm looking for who's going to be better. I want that person completely blow me out of the water.
0: I think it's really rare to go into an entry-level job and be able to have the opportunity to make changes or even just have your voice heard to some extent. And I think because you are, as a company, you are lobbying for certain rights, I suppose, and opportunities for people. It is really important that you integrate that into your own structure. We want to see that change
1: happen from an organization point of view, but also you don't have to be top dog or in a senior management team to have an opinion and to have a good idea. And you know, our youth advisory board of all volunteers. And they get as much respect and as much time as I would give
0: anyone else. So Generator runs the Tipping Point talent development programme, which supports over 750 music creators. And as you were saying earlier, you're in your 30th year and you've had several projects, including the 12 month scheme, Create Develop.
1: Create, develop is quite a newish programme. We've only been running it for a year. We offer, I guess, different levels of intervention on a talent development journey for an artist. So it might be that you need some quick advice on a thing, or it might be that you want to have a more intense experience with us.
0: I wanted to touch on why it is worth reaching out if you're a freelancer or you are an independent musician because I think some people can be a little bit fearful of the industry and perhaps think that they are safer or better working by themselves, which to some degree they are. But, you know, help is there for a reason and it is useful and generator are funded by arts council um, and as well as a number of other organizations and when you report back to them about the success of your funding how do you define this are you looking for how many people are engaging with you how big your brand has grown or are you looking at the quality of what you're providing and how do you measure that quality
1: it's a mixture of a few of those things so we might set ourselves targets of working with around about 800 artists per year. And by that, we mean that could be people in bands, that could be individual artists. And we keep a track of that. (laughs) We keep a track of those those kind of inputs and such, so people who will engage with us and on what programmes, and therefore we can, I guess, measure how successful they've been or not. But we also try and follow the stories of our artists that come for our help to see whereabouts with our help or intervention, where they go next because it's great to see an artist who maybe comes to you for some help around releasing a single and then six months down the line they release that single and it does well because they've had that support and they know what they're doing and that's fantastic to see. There's a lot of what we do is about quality and excellence. We want to support artists as much as possible. We want to support them to do the best that they possibly can do and provide whatever support you need. And that might not come directly from us because we might not be exactly the right people that you need to talk to. But what we have done over the years is build networks within the industry whereby we can call upon people to say, hey, can you come and have a chat with this person because they need some help on this thing. And we think you're kind of best placed to offer that advice. So part of what we do is making sure that artists based in the Northeast are never left without that kind of industry support, because even though we're not, you know, we're not in one of those key music hubs like your London's, your Bristol's, your Manchester's, your Liverpool's, we've built the connections to say actually bring that knowledge to you in the Northeast rather than you fighting to get to it somewhere else. So I think it's important that we're always approachable and we're always open. We'll never turn anyone away. We will always have that initial conversation. And if it's not us, If we can't help you, we'll try our best to point you to someone who
0: can. I think it's about you're really nurturing an artist throughout a whole project. You're not just like bringing in hundreds and hundreds of artists and helping them sporadically. Like these programmes are designed to follow an artist on a journey and for you to see the outcome so that you can see how to perhaps better it. And so with this funding, it can ultimately also be given to musicians as bursaries to help develop their career, if I'm right. And the masterclasses that you put on are designed to help from anything from podcasting like this, to accounting, to graphic design. What skills have you identified are most in demand to advance through Generator's Tipping Point programme? 100%
1: digital marketing, because... Artists are great, but don't know how to market themselves. So they don't know how to plan or execute a release campaign for their latest song or album. They don't know the best ways of using social media for engagement with audiences and fans. That creation of a brand identity understanding whether you want a personal or a professional element to your social media, maybe. What should your website look like? What do you need on there? What information do you want to portray? There's a whole host of things, which is, you know, you can't be great at everything all of the time. (laughs) So I think it's fine to see artists really wanting that. And also it kind of relates into things like how do I write a press release? Or, you know, if I need a a bit of copy to go with this release, how do you know, what, what should I include? What does my artist bio need to look like? Like all of these kind of little things, but they help build a bigger picture. So that's always, usually always in demand. And then what we're seeing more of now are things like looking at how artists might make money from being a musician, but not being able to tour. So obviously at the moment, touring's not really on the cards. <laughs> so we're finding artists coming to us saying, how do I still make money but doing the thing that I, that I love doing? And there's so many other options out there. But it's just making people aware of them and how to get involved in them and what they might need to do to their creative practice to change or whatever it might be to get them in a position to kind of win that work.
0: I think, yeah, obviously you are building awareness around the different skills that you do need in order to kind of market yourself essentially overall, like, you know, sync and press releases and everything. It's all a form of marketing yourself. But are you also on the flip side, seeing a lot more artists and people trying to expand their skill sets because they know that is now possible because they have access more easily to equipment? I'm thinking as in people being able to use illustration or Photoshop and have access to their phone cameras so they know, okay, well, I could learn some photography skills now or I could learn some graphic design skills. Are you seeing there be a bit more of a demand to upskill in in loads of different areas?
1: Yeah, last year we ran a couple of creative residencies that were week-long courses around content creation. So it was aimed at artists, you know, who are musicians, who are working artists, but who don't have the money to pay someone to build their website or don't have the money to pay someone to create that gig poster or to do those headshots or whatever it might be. So we looked at using free software that you can access online and say to people, look, this is how you use this thing. Have a go at creating a band, like an artist logo from this software. You know, let's see see if you can make a two minute music video to this song. Because it's kind of challenging. And I think it's really hard to know where to start. But giving people the time and space to play around and get used to things and test them out. And a bit of like R&D, basically, to say, have a go and see what happens, which I think is really great. And it's quite nice to see. The first half of this year of Generate's programme is based around a sort of DIY ethos and this feeling of make, do and mend that, yeah, you kind of are going to have to do a lot of stuff yourself at the minute because it's just not possible for you to get in a studio with this person or you don't have the money right now because you're not touring to pay for that graphic designer. So you're going to have to work out how to do it yourself if you want to do it. And I think artists have a really open approach to that that I think a lot of them are willing to learn and want to learn because they know that it's a key part of the whole process. So they know that it's needed. And if they can do it, if they can save some money (laughs) while they're doing it, then all the better.
0: Absolutely. I think you're helping them become all-round creatives and it's kind of a really inspiring process for them, especially at the moment. You know, we've seen so many people try new hobbies and try and learn new things to get that creative spark. So to finish up, I wanted to ask what new trends Generators Digital Union have identified as going to be vital to the digital marketing landscape this year, but maybe what technologies you're holding out for, where is Generator looking to invest most in this year, what are your key priorities?
1: So, for Generator this year, in terms of the music talent development stuff, like I say, it's about DIY, it's about make, do, and mend, and it's about sustainability. So it's about steadying the shift and being able to say to artists, this is how you can maintain your career. You know, you just need to get through this bit and supporting people to do that as much as we can. Through Digital Union, we're going to be looking at young people in the digital creative industries, looking at kind of young entrepreneurs and encouraging younger people to explore their ideas and exploit their talents. And to learn from others around them, from their peers. So there's quite an interesting kind of strand of what we're doing around that. We're also looking at women and gender minorities in the digital creative industries, and looking at people who um, who are running the shows, basically, and saying, "Actually, where's that leadership coming from now? Why is it important? Where are the key women working in the northeast in these kind of sectors, and how have they got to those positions? And why is it important that we listen?" And then also around digital ethics, because like I say, there's been a huge shift over the last 12 months in in how we're working and, you know, organisations and businesses have policies around things and how do we work safely and safeguarding our staff and all of those kind of things. But what's right and wrong online is often different or is perceived to be different than what is right or wrong in person. And we are conscious of that all of the time. And making sure that people are working ethically whilst also working online is really important because you start to get into some very odd territory (laughs) if you're not careful and making sure that, you know, we're not exploiting people and we're not taking advantage and it would be very easy to do that when you're working online. Essentially, you don't have that personal relationship with those people. So being, you know, kind of on top of the current situation But also looking towards the future in terms of, you know, a young person strand and thinking, actually, what comes next? Because we can dwell on this for a long time. (laughs) We can always hark back to, oh, remember 2020, 2021 when we couldn't do anything. But let's look at what happens next. What's the next step? Where's the future going? What are people thinking is going to happen? And then it's up to us to kind of dissect that and think, well, how do we support those people?
0: I think going back to the ethics of using how you use the internet. And I think there's always been a problem in terms of even just how big tech giants are using our data. And obviously, there's now so much data because everybody's online. So there's now just data about your life, essentially. But yeah, it's interesting also to think about how users are using the internet towards each other. I think the positive thing is that Over the past year, governments have really had to come together to share data and make data more openly available. You know, us knowing the COVID figures, us knowing about the different vaccines coming up, sharing health information, science information. So actually, I think there is a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel in terms of all of this stuff being governed. And government's kind of <laughs> paying a bit more of attention to it, especially because now a lot of the politics has changed. But what I think is really interesting, obviously, you have a digital union, you are all about pushing forward, finding the new trends, staying ahead of the curve. But actually, what you're focusing on right now is not so much, okay, what are the new technologies? What is the new next best thing? You're focusing on the structure of your company, you're focusing on the structure of the industry. and The things that really take priority at this moment in time, and that is equality for people. It is people's health and well-being and opportunities for those that are a bit more disadvantaged than the people that have been kind of leading the industry, as to speak.
1: The people that make the sector. It's the people that do the jobs. And yes, there will be AI stuff that comes in. One day there will be a robot answering these questions. But for now, it's all about people and if we don't preserve that if we don't look after them if we don't take the time to understand then our sector will be weakened because we'll have a weakened workforce we've got to we've got to take care of each other we've got to look after each other and make sure that if we get that right then everything else everything else afterwards will fall into place
0: and that's why i really wanted to get you on today because not only are you pushing creativity in the north but you're also pushing culture in a way and not just in the north you know i'm not from the north but the work is really inspiring me to think about my own practice and the companies i go and work for so yeah thank you so much for being on today it's been so interesting thank you for having me thank you so much to hannah for her time for being on digital dissect to discuss everything from safeguarding yourself when working during a pandemic to being resilient in an uncertain industry and the opportunities available for collaborative development. It's been really interesting to dive into the diversity issues affecting the UK and specifically the North East and the awareness that we should continue to drive around digital poverty. If you found that conversation insightful, then please subscribe to Digital Dissect on the podcast app of your choice for free to be notified when the next episode drops. Please get involved at rebeccareece.org slash digital dissect with your thoughts and opinions and follow digital.dissect on Instagram to join in the journey as we figure out the complexities of the music industry. Please go and give a review as it helps others find the podcast much easier. Thank you again to Hannah and all of the team in the show notes.